Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. This morning I wanted to pause and remember exactly what happened 20 years ago yesterday when our nation was shocked to the core. 2,977 citizens died in those tragedies. They represented 78 countries. 6,000 were immediately injured. Over 25,000 sustained injuries ongoing. We should remember 9-11 was the start of the war on terror. Waged for 20 years. Our sons and our daughters were killed and maimed and scarred both inside and outside. We should remember. Because a warrior stood in the gate in Afghanistan and Iraq, we haven't suffered a major terrorist attack from outside the U.S. since that day. But with the withdrawal of the U.S. forces from Afghanistan, you can expect to see those kinds of things beginning to ramp up one more time. We need to understand that when we choose to abandon our allies, whether they're Afghanis or Iraqis, and their families, when we leave Americans behind, there's always a price to be paid. With that withdrawal, scars were reopened. Hurts were once again appearing. So this morning, I want to stop and I want to pray for our veterans who have served the last 20 years, who have given many of them life and limb, shed their blood for our freedom, keeping terrorism at bay and off the shores of the United States of America. Would you do that with me right now, please? Just bow your heads. Father, today we pray for men and women who put on the uniform and answered the call to defend and protect our nation as a result of 2001, September 11th. We pray for those, Lord, who have suffered great losses, who have been injured that can't be repaired, who have deep emotional scars that never seem to heal. We pray for those individuals today, both men and women, asking that you'd bring healing and recovery into their hearts and into their lives. We pray today that you would touch the families that have lost soldiers and sailors and airmen during this 20-year war, that you'd bring comfort and strength to them, help them, encourage them. Let the Spirit of God pour in the balm of Gilead into their wounds and their broken hearts. We just pray, Father, that you would do today what we can't and where our wor words fall short. May your Holy Spirit accomplish that work of healing in the heart of men and women. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's interesting, every one of us can remember where we were at September 11th, 2001, if you were alive at that time. I recognize a lot of you are young enough not to remember that event, but talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents, hear their stories, because there's lessons to be learned as we remember. You know, one of the lessons we need to take away from this whole event is the fact that when we withdrew from Afghanistan, the Taliban have declared that China will become their biggest ally and help them rebuild Afghanistan. It's a very interesting concept when you know Bible prophecy. Because Bible prophecy tells us there's coming a day when the armies from the north, which are represented by Russia, Gog, and Magog, 
And the armies from the east, which are represented by Iran, Syria, Iraq, even on over into China, the Muslim nations and China, will gather against Israel. Why is the withdrawal so important biblically? Because when the U.S. forces pulled out of Afghanistan, that opened an old land bridge known as the Silk Road for the Chinese to take armaments and men, a 200 million man army, Revelation says, will gather against Israel from China. And it happens because there's no longer a force preventing them to move through Afghanistan and right on down that bridge to the eastern Mediterranean. And the country in the eastern Mediterranean, that's obviously the issue, is Israel. So we need to understand when we see all this stuff happening, the clock of time is ticking down. It's rapidly getting ready to expire And it's very important that you and I as believers open our eyes, open our ears, consider what we're seeing and hearing, and weigh that in the light of what the Scripture has to say. If you're unfamiliar with that type of biblical prophecy, read Ezekiel 38 and 39. I know it's tough reading, but it has great material. Or Daniel chapter 7, which speaks to it. Or Revelation chapter 16, which speaks to it. But I don't want to end that with a note of doom and gloom. I want you to understand that we sing about the lion of the tribe of Judah. We sing about the king of kings to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I want you to understand God is still in control. God still has a plan. God is not surprised. He's not shocked. He's not scrambling to figure out how to fix the mess this world is in. He is in control. And the Bible tells me after that end of seven years, we know as the great tribulation, then you can read it in Revelation verse 19, or chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and who sat upon him, who is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And I've come to tell you that, yes, the armies of the world will gather against Israel, but there is one who will descend from heaven with the armies of believers behind him who will make war and wage war and bring the ultimate victory to the kingdom of God. Amen. You and I need to be encouraged today, not discouraged. We don't need to be living in fear or uncertainty. The Word of God gives clear direction for you and I when we're seeing events unfold as we've seen over the last few weeks. It reminds us that Jesus, in fact, is coming again. And His return is very, very, very near I can't begin to tell you when that would be. I honestly don't know. I know the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you can turn there, lived with that expectancy, and he lived with that hope. And when the believer in Jesus Christ today, in 2021, fails to live with that expectancy and that hope, the obvious result is despair and doubt. I've come to tell you today, you don't need to be depressed. You don't need to be living in despair. You don't need to be filled with doubt because the king is coming. He has an answer. He has a plan. It'll be fulfilled. And here's the great news. He's got a plan for his people as well. He isn't going to leave us alone. He isn't going to leave us destitute. My goodness, he didn't save us to put us through that type of thing. He saved us to bring us to him and be a part of his eternal kingdom. 
So look with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, continuing the series, Stand Firm. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes this morning, and then we're going to have communion because we understand that everything we believe and everything we do hinges upon the cross. The fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, gave his life on Calvary as a sacrifice for your sin and for mine is the reason we have hope, the reason we can have joy, the reason we live in peace, because he conquered hell, death, and the grave, and rose again from the grave. Ah, you just aren't feeling it this morning, are you? I said he conquered hell, death, and the grave, and he rose again from the dead. So that he which was alive and was dead is now alive forevermore. My friend, that's the crux of the gospel. That's the hope of every believer. That what we see is not the end. The grave is not simply a dead end, but it's a thoroughfare into the presence of God because the one we serve has already conquered the grave. So there's no reason for a believer to fear death. We know what's going to happen. We pass from this life into the presence of the living God. So Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. You can go back to Acts chapter 17. You can read the story of this church being founded. And Paul says he was only there for three Sabbath days. Do the math. He was there somewhere between two and four weeks, depending on when he got there and when he left. He planted the church and then he left because there was great persecution. He had this bunch of rabble-rousers that were always following him around. They were Jews. There were Jews who didn't like he was preaching Jesus, so they would follow him wherever he went, and they would stir up the people, both Jews and Greeks, and they would make them rise up against Paul and the message he preached. So because of this great opposition, because of the persecution, he was only there for three Sabbath days, somewhere between two and four weeks, however we figure when he came and when he left. So he didn't have the time. He didn't have the two years like he had at Ephesus to pour into that body of believers. He gave them the gospel. He taught them all he could, but he didn't have time to be there to reinforce and to reiterate and to explain and to teach again and again. We understand that we learned by hearing things again and again, right? Same with the church in Thessalonica. But they only had a very short period of time with the apostle. And after he had left, they began to have questions about the coming day of the Lord, the judgment of God. And they were receiving false reports, lies, false prophecies, whether it's by a letter written and forged on the hand of Paul, whether it was by someone saying, this is what Paul said. We don't know. We just know they were being deceived. So Paul picks up his pen one more time, and he begins to write to this church that he founded, and he says these words, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of the Lord had come. The day of the Lord refers to God's judgment upon the planet. Don't be confused. The day of the Lord, he said, has not come. When you read that from the Amplified Translation, it says, you should not become easily unsettled or alarmed. 
In other words, don't let what you're hearing trouble what you know. If there's ever been a word for a believer today, it's that word. Don't let what you're hearing trouble what you know. Don't let what you're seeing on the outside affect what you have received from Jesus Christ. He is your peace. He is the peace of, of, he was the peacemaker. He's the prince of peace. He will watch over you. He will keep you. He will hold you. He will protect you. So in troublesome times, don't be easily unsettled. Yet how many are? We talked about it last week that a demonic spirit of fear has been released over planet Earth associated with COVID and the events that are happening. I've come to tell you again this morning, perfect love cast out all fear. There is no reason for you or I as a born-again believer to fear anyone or anything. The king I serve is greater. He has conquered. He has overcome. He has been to death, death, hell, and the grave, and he came back alive forevermore. There is no reason for you and I to fear. Oh, you just don't understand the seriousness of this Virus. I'm not discounting the seriousness of the virus, but rather I choose to emphasize the power of the king. I choose to focus upon my God is able to carry us through. So many people said to me this last week, what do you think about this mandate? Listen, the whole mandate thing is simply a shift in the news cycle. We need to get the eyes off Afghanistan and put our, the people's eyes somewhere else. Quit worrying about that stuff, folks. We live in an evil world controlled by evil people, dominated by Satan. What more do you expect? This is not a Christian utopia. The kingdom has not come to the planet to rule and reign as yet, but the day is coming when he will. As I read those scriptures again this week, I began thinking about the Apostle Paul again in another circumstance. Because his ministry was constantly plagued by these people following him, telling lies about him, storing up trouble against him. You can read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, somebody, you need to hear that. Quit moaning and groaning because you got COVID and begin to boast in the power of God. Begin to boast in what God can do in your life. Begin to boast in the fact that he saw you through. Paul said in verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure. That's a little hard for me to wrap my mind around. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. But this I can wrap my head around. For when I am weak, oh, come on, somebody say it with me. Then I am strong. When I'm weak, then his strength flows through me in a powerful, supernatural, not understandable to the mind of man way. And that's a wonderful thing for you and I. So we realize the day we're in. We see all the craziness happening around us. I see people almost on a weekly basis that are trying to find reasons to no longer be a part of the body of Christ. 
They don't like the church for this reason or that reason. Listen, this church isn't for everyone, and I know that. Everybody doesn't like me, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not doing a popularity contest. I know, however, there's over a thousand churches in Tallahassee. And if you can't find one where you can be fed and encouraged and hear the word of God, it's not the church's problem, it's yours. Let me say that again. It's not the church's problem, it's yours. You need to look in your heart and say, why am I trying to find an excuse not to be a part of what God is doing? Why am I trying to separate myself from the presence of God and the people of God and the love of God and the grace of God? Do you know there is strength in numbers? And when we gather together, we receive strength from one another. As the day approaches, as the times grow darker, it is imperative that believers understand the necessity of worshiping together. Do you realize that throughout the centuries, believers have had to hide in secret places? They have feared persecution and even death for daring to worship Jesus Christ. And we have doors open, we have air conditioning, we have comfortable places, and we find every reason in the world that we can't be in church. Shame on us. Because it tells me our faith is an inch deep and a mile wide. It tells me we don't have the strength to stand when times get tough and times get hard. Yvonne was talking about tithing, and I can almost feel the hackles rising on the back of some necks. How dare she say something like that? Look, folk, I said it a couple weeks ago. If you don't have the faith to tithe, you don't have the faith to stand. And it's really that simple. We have got to learn to trust God once again and allow him to do what needs to be done in our lives because we are living in a day when all that can be shaken will be shaken. So what is it that shakes us? False teachings shake us, for sure. Trouble shakes us, for sure. Sickness shakes us, pain shakes us, fear shakes us, on and on and on I could go. But if you and I have put our feet on the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, our foundation is built on him, then we will stand regardless of how hard the wind blows against us. Regardless of what we encounter, we stand. So we look at this passage of scripture, the Thessalonians thought they had missed the rapture. You say, what is the rapture? Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, begin reading in verse 15, and read down through the end of that chapter, and you'll find that out. You'll see what it says. Paul says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Every time I read that scripture, it reminds me I'm not going through the tribulation. If you want to, you go ahead and stick around, but I'm going to take the rapture exit. If you want to endure that mess, you go ahead and see if you're st strong enough. But I know God's got another plan because he didn't save me to put me through that. He saved us to bring us hope and life. They thought they had missed that event, the rapture, and they were now going to live in the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. 
that they talked about in Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Revelation 16. They thought they were there and they're going to endure the judgment of the Lord. So Paul writes to them and said, don't be unsettled. Don't be so easily shaken. Remember what I taught you. Can I say it one more time? It's time to go back, open the book, begin to read it, devour it every single day, and remember what the Lord has said. Remember the promises of God that are given to you through the power of his word so that in difficult times you can stand. And then he gave him this advice in verse 15 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Stand fast. Stand firm. Don't be knocked off your feet. Don't allow somebody to take the foundation out from underneath you. Stand fast and remember what you were taught. Remember what you were taught. Stand fast. This morning I want to spend just a few minutes on verse 7 from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because it talks about the fact the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness. Isn't it interesting that God chooses by the Holy Spirit to use the words the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of lawlessness. Now, we understand the mystery of the gospel is something that only be comprehended through faith in Jesus Christ, activated by his Holy Spirit. But what is the mystery of lawlessness? It is the absolute plan of Satan to destroy mankind and to destroy the earth. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, if you read the scripture, you'll find that this began in Genesis chapter 3. When Satan, the lying serpent, who was more cunning than any other, said to Eve, has God really said, you can't eat of the trees of the garden? And she said, oh no, that's not what God said. God said you can eat of all the trees except the one in the middle of the garden. And then the old devil says to her, well, you know why he said that, don't you? Because he knows that the moment you eat the fruit of that tree, you're going to become just like he is. Just like God, things will absolutely unfold and open to you. Your eyes will be open. So she took it, she ate it, she gave it to her husband, he ate it. And we know what happened, their eyes were opened. Suddenly I knew the difference between good and evil. The relationship with God was severed because of that disobedience. And look at, read it, I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 3 this afternoon. Because you see exactly what's happening today happened then. When God confronted them in the garden, what did Adam say? Well, the woman. Yeah, he blamed Eve, his helpmate, the one that God made for him. He blamed her, threw her under the bus. Guys, I'm not here to tell you, it doesn't excuse your sin when you blame somebody else. And we see a lack of accountability for our actions and our sins and our disobedience woven throughout Genesis chapter 3. So when God, Adam said, it's because of the woman. Eve said, no, no, no. It's because of the serpent. See, a mystery of lawlessness, a spirit of lawlessness, when it begins to run rampant through the face of the earth, always causes men and women to blame somebody else, to deflect, to move the guilt from ourselves and the shame from ourselves to someone else. 
The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. How do I know that? Well, our prisons are full to overflowing. How do I know that? We have 12-year-olds shooting each other in the street. How do I know that? We have absolute disrespect and rebellion becoming rampant all around us. How do I know that? There are no longer moral values that are absolutes that anchor people to the truth of God's word, but rather everything is subjective. However you interpret it, truth is your truth or my truth. I've come to tell you this morning, there is only one truth, not yours or mine, and it's God's truth. That's the truth we live by. The mystery of lawlessness is already unfolding around us. 60 million babies have been slaughtered at the altar of convenience because of the mystery of lawlessness, because we don't want to be accountable, because we don't want to accept responsibility, because it's my body, it's my choice. Love the way you're shouting now. We're facing a labor crisis in America. Do you think that maybe some of those 60 million babies would have stepped into those gaps? There are long-term effects for slaughtering generations. And we're beginning to see those effects in America right now. Riots, looting, destruction, pillage, all happening all around us. Someone saying it's not fair. I was mistreated. My ancestors were mistreated. That's true. But at some point, you got to step up and take accountability for your actions and stop blaming somebody way back down the road. You got to say, it's my sin. It's not my daddy's. It's not my granddaddy's. It's my sin that has to be confessed and repented of. God, help us open our eyes. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Most of you know I was in Seattle and Portland in June. A bike accident happened to one of my buddies. I ended up staying there in Portland with them until they got out of the hospital and went back home to Texas. You talk about lawlessness, I experienced it firsthand. I've got some stories with encounters with the Antifa. I'll tell you privately. I won't tell them publicly. But I'm here to tell you there is a spirit of lawlessness running through this land, running across the nation. Someone said, well, the Taliban will be our friends. They will honor their word. Are you kidding me? Did you just fall off a turnip wagon? Did you hit your head real Your mama dropped you on your head. That's what happened. Come on, wake up. They're not our friends. They're our enemies. They hate Americans and the West. Well, they're not Al-Qaeda. Yeah, they are. They just changed their shirt. Come on, wake up and recognize that spirit of lawlessness is running rampant throughout the land. You know what's so tragic in America? Our politicians just make it worse. They don't have any answers. They don't have any solutions. They just make it worse. If you're looking to the federal government to get you out of the mess you're in, your eyes are in the wrong place. There's only one who has the power to deliver, to save, to heal, to renew, to restore, to allow you to move into the place and the position he's called you to be, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's not the president or the vice. I don't care who's in those offices. They are not the answer to mankind's maladies. Only Jesus is.
You see, when the mystery of lawlessness begins to work in a land, we abandon the wisdom of morality and we lose the ability to trust that God is in control. And if we don't believe God is in control, then we're looking everywhere else for someone to bring an answer and to bring the chaos back in so life can return to normal. May I tell you, life will never be normal as you knew it. Because the mystery of lawlessness is at work. So we blame this one. We blame that one. We blame people who don't look like us or talk like us. We blame people in authority. May I just, I guess I'm on my soapbox this morning, but I'm on a roll. May I tell you, there are bad folks in every profession. There are bad lawyers. There are bad doctors. There are bad uh, mechanics. There are bad electricians. There are bad preachers. There are bad pastors. And yes, there are bad police officers. But far and away, the majority of them are there because they are sheepdogs. And they want to stand between the evil in society and the people they've sworn to protect. Would you please give it a rest? And begin to honor the men and women who have chosen to put on a uniform and protect you and I. We blame everyone else. And that blame, all it does is bring division. What does John 10, 10 say? The thief comes up for to steal, kill, and destroy or divide. We have never seen division like we see today. It's unheard of for me to be able to stand in this church and preach to groups of people from every ethnicity. People from around the world. That's why we're called all nations. Because we don't all look alike. We don't all talk alike. We don't eat the same food. We don't dress the same way. But we serve the same God. And that's the common denominator that binds us together when a spirit of lawlessness is operating in the land. That's why I can say to somebody, I really don't understand how you grew up. Your culture is very different from mine, but I see the Spirit of God in you. And that makes you my brother. That makes you my sister. And nothing the devil throws against us will divide us or separate us because we are bound by a blood tie through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, church. We've got to get this in our heart. Don't allow the spirit of lawlessness to bring division into your life. And now we have the big division of vaxxed or unvaxxed. I couldn't care less whether you have a vaccine or not. That's your personal business. Let me say that again. That's your personal business. I don't care. I read articles this last week of pastors saying to their congregations, if you don't get vaccinated, don't come back. Would you please show me that in the scripture? I think it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whoever does what I tell them to do shall be saved. Come on, church, wake up. The spirit of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness is operating across our land and across our world. How does it happen? Well, it becomes a gradual thing. We first begin to overlook the evil. Then we begin to permit the evil. Then we legalize the evil. Then we promote the evil. Then we celebrate the evil. And then we persecute those who still call it evil.
and the mystery of lawlessness reigns over the land. Oh, folks, if you can't see that progression in the United States of America and in the culture, and if you can't see that progression coming against Christianity and the Word of God, you need to wake up and see what's going on. I'm going to say it one one more time. If you can't stand today, you won't stand in days of testing. It's time for your faith to be anchored firmly in the Word of God and you not to move either direction. Tom, will you come back, please? Isaiah 59, even Isaiah prophesied this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He said in verse 1, I'm reading from the message, look and listen. God's arm is not amputated. He can still save. God's ears are not stopped up. He can still hear. That should be good news, right? Listen to this phrase. There's nothing wrong with God. The wrong is in you. Your wrong-headed lives cause the split between you and God. Your sins got between you so that he doesn't hear you. Your hands are drenched in blood, your fingers dripping with guilt, your lips smeared with lies, your tongue swollen from muttering obscenities. No one speaks up for the right. No one deals fairly. They trust in illusion. They tell lies. They get pregnant with mischief and have sin babies. If that doesn't describe the state of American politics, you tell me what does. Verse 6 through 8. They compete in the race to do evil. They run to be the first to murder. They plan and plot evil and think and breathe evil. They leave a trail of wrecked lives behind them. They know nothing about peace and less than nothing about justice. Less than nothing about justice. Wow, what a statement. They make torturously twisted roads. No peace for the wretch who walks down those roads. Verses 14 and 15. Justice is beaten back. Righteousness is banished to the sidelines. Truth staggers down the street. Honesty is nowhere to be found. Good is missing in action. Anyone renouncing evil is beaten and robbed. You see, that's what happens when humanity surrenders to the mystery of lawlessness. When we lose the ability to tell right from wrong. When there is no moral standard guiding us as individuals. And we now live in a day and an age when the church has drifted away from true and absolute morality to embrace the demands of culture. I've said this so many times. I'm going to say it again this morning. As long as the Lord enables me to stand as your pastor, we will not fold to culture. We will not fear what men can do to us. We will not abandon the truth of God's word. We will not sell out for someone that will give us more prestige or exposure. We're going to stand and declare the word of God is true. The word of God is power. The word of God is life. The word of God is absolute truth. And it will not be compromised. See, this happens when Man thinks he is enlightened and that he has discovered a new right for this 
sinful behavior. All in an attempt to minimalize or normalize our own sins and uncontrolled passions. When that happens, we've been captured by a spirit of lawlessness. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning, when we see unlawful things happening around us by our leaders, is that the law of the land or is that the law of God? See, because if it's not the law of God, I have a responsibility to reject it, not be subjected to that particular thing. We live to a higher calling. We live to a higher standard. We live to a higher authority. Our authority doesn't reside in Washington, D.C. He resides in heaven. He sits on the throne of the universe. He is Elohim. He is the Lord God Almighty. When the faithful begin to panic, and I'm talking about you and me, when the faithful begin to panic because of what's happening around them, they lose their peace. And then they fall for the delusion that's given by a false teacher, a false prophet, a politician, someone who thinks they have the answers, and they fall into the depths of confusion, despair, and chaos. And then they adopt an attitude of, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I've come to tell you this morning, I am not a victim. I am a victor. I am not a victim because my God has redeemed me. He has saved me. He has delivered me. He's filled me with the Holy Ghost. There may be things in my past where I was victimized or times when I was hurt, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, those are healed. Those are washed away. Those are covered over. And I will not stand in yesterday and try to live today. I'm going to stand on the unchanging truth of God's Word and see what God can do new and fresh every single day. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.